Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world-leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self-doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport, which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, Your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part? It's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hey ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Today I have on the show three-time Olympian and silver medalist Kath Bishop, who represented Great Britain in rowing. I've been really looking forward to this conversation with Kath for some time now, and boy, did she really deliver. You will not be disappointed, and I'm still buzzing from this chat we just had. There were so many golden nuggets and insights into the holistic approach for all athletes, and not just athletes, but people as a whole for that matter. I first came across Kath on another podcast I was listening to, and I was instantly hooked. I subsequently went and bought and devoured her book, The Long Win, and have since taken so many parts of that book and used it in my coaching and mentoring. I'd highly recommend going and getting it. Kath has now been a diplomat also for over 10 years, specializing in conflict issues on a global scale, and has been posted to Iraq and Bosnia to name but two places where she where her services have been used. It's really incredible stuff, this. And she's doing some phenomenal work, and I feel really grateful and lucky to have her on the show today. Today, we really focus in on the athlete's identity and the dangers of getting wrapped up in the results, as well as the outcomes of sport. We discuss how life can be lived greater than just those three minutes spent on the podium and how to go about practicing this and all that we do. Kath is very clear. She is not against winning and going for titles and trophies, but gives some great warnings as to the pitfalls of this and how to rebalance the perspective on life. We talk on topics such as nerves, confidence, gratitude, cultivating a mastery mindset, looking at the bigger picture accessing flow, reframing thoughts, choices, how to be competitive but not to forget mindfulness, and so many more interesting and powerful subjects that we go down some rabbit holes with. All of which are going to lend to a different way to think and behave if the outcome is all that is currently being focused on. I know we'll be coming back and re-listening to this podcast several times over as the messages and the learning feel so vitally important. This chat is both for the athlete themselves as well as the athlete support networks, such as parents, coaches, and other people that play an important role in the athlete's growth and progression. We end the conversation on this subject as the athletes can never do this alone, and how they are being supported will have a huge influence on their overall quality of life. Please enjoy. 
Kath Bishop, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Um, and thank you for joining me. Really excited. I know we've been back and forth a little bit trying to get this down. So I feel really chuffed we're here today. But for those that may not have yet come across your work, and I'm hoping that's a very small demographic, um, would you be able to give a brief introduction to yourself, maybe your professional sporting career and what you're currently up to now? Sure. Yeah, great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation equally. Um, so, yeah, my sporting career goes back to being an Olympic rower and competing at three Olympic Games. Uh, a while ago now in Atlanta, Sydney and Athens, winning a medal in Athens, seeing a bit of the transition from sort of the, you know, life pre-lottery, pre-funding, pre-professionalisation and then the sort of the shift that came with that. I actually had another career as a diplomat after that, which went back to sort of the things that I'd studied uh, as uh, a linguist in international politics. But I now kind of bring those two careers together, really, by working as a, a coach and a consultant in Topics around leadership, developing teams and changing culture. And my book, The Long Win, that came out a couple of years ago, kind of brought all of that thinking together, really the experience from both sport, but also working in other organisations and education to challenge this concept of how we frame success, how we reach our potential and how we sometimes fall into some traps along the way that don't actually help us. Well, brilliant. I think, um, and I've come across your work many times, um, uh, unbelievable book and obviously very interesting because you were at the, the cutting edge of sport, you know, Olympian winning medals, but, but it's, it's, it sounds like now you're trying to get a bit of a rebalance in, in the way people are thinking, the way people are behaving. And, and we're going to explore that. But just before we jump into those topics, um, becoming a linguist, a diplomat, did that all come through when you were professional athletes or after? How, how did that all evolve? Yeah, so actually, that was what I was studying. And that's the career that I intended to to go down. Uh, I just had always been interested in those sort of subjects, those areas at school, and I actually hadn't been very sporty at school, I kind of was fell into that sort of bracket of people who, you know, are big and tall and don't run fast, and you get labeled as non sporty. So the whole rowing thing took off at university and took me on this incredible kind of adventure and journey. And that then delayed sort of the um, the, the kind of diplomat bit. <laughs> awesome. And also just starting at university, you know, maybe to the, the very keen parents, you go, right, let's get our kids working at 10 years old. And, you know, so yours is quite a success story about starting later. Could you just explore that for a sec with us? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I... I there, I'm really aware of this sort of pressure to do things, you know, early and, and it actually continues through our life. So children are pressured, but then we're all pressured to reach promotion by this age. And, uh, and, and it's all a bit of a nonsense because we don't develop in a linear way. So, you know, I actually feel very lucky that I, I started rowing at university, you know, and then as an adult could sort of make choices myself, even though at times, you know, wasn't necessarily always treated as an adult, but, you know, still um, could could make real decisions and and draw on my own motivation for, for doing things. Mm. Um, rowing is an endurance sport, so it's not something you have to start super young. You need to build up over time the physiology for it. Um, people, Sue Vergrave, Catherine Granger kept going sort of virtually up to 40. Yeah. Um, and actually we're seeing with some other sports, something we're seeing even sort of something like gymnastics, uh, traditionally very, very young children. And now we're getting... Um, adults competing much kind of later, uh, their careers lasting much longer. And I think that's a really important shift in sport. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, all of the research says that we shouldn't specialise early mm -hmm. and that it's really important to stay active as a child, to do lots of different things, to support that general coordination, balance, those kind of core skills that are critical. Because often when we do one sport, 
it's not symmetrical. It puts certain stresses on the body. It's certainly true of rowing, you know, any racket sports, the same. And so what we really want to give children is a sort of love of activity, of movement, to try lots of different things and make sure that then you, that the sport you really choose is one that you love. And I absolutely fell in love with rowing at university with no aspirations whatsoever to be an Olympian. And I'm so grateful for that because when it got really, really tough, and brutal, and on days when I felt like giving up and thought I'm going to retire at lunchtime, um, do you know, I still had a moment of going, I love being on the river. I love the sport. And I'm grateful for that. Even when you're going slowly and the coach is shouting at you, I love being on the river. Brilliant. Well, I'm definitely going to pick on a few threads there because that, that I think is the essence of this conversation today. But before I jump into that, I don't know if you've seen that little video of Roger Federer, um, maybe like four or five years ago at the US Open, he's being interviewed. And um, the interviewer, I, I use it with a lot of my coaching, was Roger, you know, what advice would you give to young aspiring tennis players? And he said, pretty much don't play tennis. <laughs> it's like kind of weird, but he was like, you know, when you're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, go play. And he actually said squash, which is brilliant. He said, go play squash, go skateboarding, go ride your bikes, go do everything you can. Fall in love with other sports, very similar to what you said. And then when it, because it's going to get serious at some point, that's when you can specialize. And, uh, you know, it sounds very similar to the message you're saying. And it's, it's such a cool little clip. I'll send it to you afterwards. It's really, really, really inspiring. Yeah, it, it worked for him, didn't it? Definitely, definitely. And, and a lot of people don't know he was actually a squash player before he became a tennis player. His mom, you know, in South Africa, like lived behind the squash courts and then only started specializing in tennis, you know, maybe, you know, very specialist at 16, but only 11. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and he did football. He, yeah, he, he absolutely lived that himself. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that marks him out as a tennis player is that balance, it's that coordination, it's that speed, it's that flexibility. And that's what you get from doing a range of sports. And so that is so important. Mm. And I'm, I can't, we can't really maybe, well, we can probably tell, but what's happening underneath the hood, as in, in his brain, his mind, his decision-making when he's playing a team sport, yeah. as a youngster, when he's doing other things, how is his processing skills mentally? That That's that's what I'm also curious in. Um, but listen, I think let's let's dive into a few of these little topics. And, and you talk about the identity of an athlete and, and how this can become really wrapped up in titles and status and why do you think this, this can become a problem? So this is a huge problem. It actually applies outside sport as well. If we start to define ourselves by what we do rather than just simply who we are, then we are putting all of our worth into something that's also we can't control. And that's clearly dangerous. So if we're trying to justify our self-worth through winning a medal or if we're trying to justify our self-worth through getting a promotion or, you know, some something in the else in the professional world, um, then that's, you know, we are putting our value into something we can't control, into something that's usually not lasting, that's temporary um, and that doesn't have sort of a lasting meaning. So that's taken us down a very dangerous route, isn't it? So, I mean, not only should we think carefully about sort of what we wrap our identity into, we also should wrap it across multiple things. So again, we sort of know from research, it's very healthy that we have more than one persona. So, you know, we're not just a mother. You know, again, that's one of those things, isn't it? When you become a parent, you get wrapped up in that. And then you start feeling you're defined by being a parent. It's like, no, 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 I had a life before this. It's exactly the same for a sports person. If you are a squash player or a rower, it's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a person with thoughts and opinions and feelings and interests outside sport. And that's really important to give us a solid foundation. I think there used to be a view that somehow you're more dedicated if you call yourself an athlete all the time and you think about nothing else. And I've definitely had coaches 
who feel, you know, you're going to get distracted or you're not completely committed unless you're thinking about rowing 24-7. But actually, that is damaging to performance because, of course, you get obsessed. You lose perspective on things. And when things, particularly when they're not going well, your life suddenly is, is in tatters. And that's, you know, it's never going to help you to, to be resilient, to get back on track. And to also think about life after sport, because we all have a life after sport. We can't be an elite sports person forever. You know, even at, at grassroots levels, we, we may need to sort of change the level at which we're playing at or play a different role in sports. So, again, this putting all of our identity into kind of what we do sets us up later for problems. Um, so it's really also important to look out for this in language. The fact we talk about, we you know, start to talk about people as athletes rather than people you know, or on get it when we get into this sort of world of, you know, he or she's medal potential, you know, they're on the they're the podium person, you know, they're not the podium person. All of that, you know, commoditization, if you like, of of athletes is unhealthy in multiple ways. And at the bottom line is it doesn't help your performance either. Mm. Totally. And, and, and the stuff that I've heard about, you speak about, I love that you use the word language there. And it's something I think I'm trying to remind myself on, like how I do speak to the, the, the players I'm working with or that, or that <laughs> the players I'm trying to use players rather than athletes now. Um, and this, you talk a lot about the press and how the press can glorify things. And, and obviously, you know, you only see that tip of the iceberg. You see the, 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 the podium for whatever, 10 seconds on TV. And it's like, wow, that's what we got to go to. And I suppose, I suppose the route I'm trying to take you down is, you know, this, I'm kind of trying to spin it a slightly different way. So the, the hedonic treadmill of success, I, I want to explore that, but can this be a thing that, that can be good if channeled correctly? So, you know, these athletes do want to achieve these medals. They do want to get the highest status and this hedonic treadmill of, of keep going, keep going, keep going. How do you think that can be a positive if, if you do? I think it's really important to say I am absolutely not against trying to excel in sport. I'm not against winning. I think we should all, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to be aspiring for medals. I just think we shouldn't only be aspiring for medals. And we should make sure that the medal represents something that lasts longer than the three minutes on the podium. And, you know, in itself being just a sort of a round piece of metal, it needs to represent something human. It needs to represent sort of the experiences, the things we've learned, the connections, the relationships, the community we're part of, the contribution we've perhaps made to ourselves, but also to our sport in the period we've, we've been in it. Uh, and it's when we lose that connection to something that has lasting meaning that the, the search for a medal and the treadmill that leads up to that becomes very empty and there's a danger that even if you get to the top actually you feel very empty and this is what I found talking to people who got to the highest level and finding people say they felt depressed they felt empty they then went so what because there's almost this sense that this result is going to make you whole is going to make you better it's going to justify your worth it's going to give you an identity that's better than the one you had and you get this awful shock when you stand on the top of the podium and you get off and you think right where's this perfect identity Where's this everlasting happiness? When does that kick in? You know, and you realize you've got the same relationship problems you had three hours ago and the same character flaws. Um, and, and actually, you know, inside you haven't changed. And why did you think you would or that you needed to? So it's a sort of superficial level. We need to make sure that the, the pursuit of success is actually grounded in something that has meaning beyond it. So then whatever the result, actually good or bad, of course, we're aiming for the best results possible. But actually, it doesn't the, the result itself doesn't necessarily determine your 
um, interpretation of it afterwards. You know, if you felt you gave everything, if you felt you pushed yourself, um, got some, maybe made some mistakes that, you know, you want to work on next time. That's what matters in a sort of mastery mindset. We're just always learning. We're, we stay humble. And whether we've won, we're going to have to learn if we want to win again. And if we came last, we're going to have to learn to next time to go faster. So let's focus in on that learning piece on the sort of what I call a constant learning mindset. And that tends to keep you much more grounded. It's much better for performance. We don't get this huge high of everything's fantastic that I've won. And then the roller coaster dips when we lose and everything's terrible. That makes us much less resilient. It's exhausting. It's draining. And all of that emotional energy is being trained away from actually getting faster next time. So I think it's about kind of switching our focus a bit and thinking about success in terms of, you know, much more kind of steady path of mastery of learning rather than an up and down roller coaster of results, because the results are often affected by things way beyond our control. Luck comes into it, umpires, referees, injuries, our competitors. So why would we put all of our worth into something that that's so uh, volatile? Beautifully said, really, really well said. So there's a couple of threads I, I think I want to just pull on. You said something there I thought that was really interesting. When the athlete reaches that mecca, right, that could actually be the the, the magnifying glass for all the other flaws. All you know, they they're so focused on getting to that mountaintop that actually they can ignore character flaws, they can ignore relationships in their life at that point. They get to the top, whether it's success or not, but then all of a sudden that thing could be the 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 first domino to exposing all the other flaws I, I just had a little thought about that for a second what, what do you think is, is is that something that you've thought about or do you talk about that the idea that it's the result is the magnification of what you've been hiding uh yeah that's that's interesting it sort of takes it takes it one stage further uh you know it is a heightened moment in your life and therefore i think you suddenly can feel very exposed uh, you're sort of put, you're given often a heroic status. You're treated by the media, by others around you, sometimes your own team, maybe your managers, your coaches, as somehow worth more. And yet you deep down know that, of course, you're, you're not a, some, mm-hmm. some perfect, you can't be some, some perfect being. Um, you know, I think we're all responsible in sport for checking ourselves and, and asking if we're selling a myth about this, you know, this one way path that leads to this one moment. Um, which I don't think is really the experience you have as an athlete because your life goes on after that moment. Um, and, you know, again, this sense that everything will be okay if we get to this peak is, you know, it, it's actually saying to most people, you're going to fail. You know, when, when athletes go and talk about this in assemblies or talk to organizations, you know, what are we saying to those children in the school? Because we know that only, you know, a tiny percentage of people are going to get a medal. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a pyramid that tightens up the top. So you're actually saying, for those of you who don't win, you know, don't bother. It's worthless. It has no meaning. We take the kind of meaning out of everyday normal life where we are all struggling and learning and trying different things and failing and trying something different. Um, you know, and for an athlete, most days are like that. You have a few when you can race and, and compete for, for the medals. And sure, you want to grab those. You want to bring your best based on all of the things you've learned in the other days. But, you know, to make those days worth more than the others, I think, is, is the error that actually leads us astray from what really matters. It's how we show up every day. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, totally. I, and again, I probably maybe put you on the spot there because that was just a little kind of spark in my mind that I was thinking about. And then mm. the other thing I think that that I'm hearing you say, and I, I want to explore it with you, you know, you hear coaches love the process, love the process. And that's that's a, that's such a, you know, a buzzwording and important because it is true. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is I've heard you say gratitude a couple of times. So where does gratitude play a part in one of probably one of the big, big tools that athletes can start to maybe explore more in how to get this balance right of, yes, we want to get the success, but we want to love the process. Because sometimes I think gratitude can be seen as quite a fluffy thing and kind of like ethereal and oh, yeah, I can just think something and it'll be great. Where are you on, on that gratitude scale at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to pick that up. Do you know, I was really struck listening to Serena Williams on her in her recent uh, final matches at the US Open and other interviews, how much she expressed gratitude. And I thought that was great to hear from somebody who is obviously a very committed, dedicated, you know, fearsome champion um, to, you know, in this moment, in this hugely challenging transition moment for her to recall, to, to be really um, focusing a lot on that gratitude that's helping her through this, acknowledging that um, we can't succeed on our own. And we know that uh, if we kind of have that connection to others, that helps us a lot. Gratitude is one of those ways of building that community, of acknowledging the others who are on this journey with you, who ultimately will also make that that medal moment, if it comes, more fun, if you can share it with them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's about recognizing, um, stopping us falling into that hero track to kind of recognize, you know, I'm, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity I have in this country to be part of an Olympic system where I'm giving, given all this support, you know, we should recognize that we have that it gives us a huge advantage. It's not, you know, our, our sort of medal success over the last 20 years. It's not suddenly we've got better athletes. We have got better at investing in them and developing them. There's nothing wrong with that, but we shouldn't somehow pretend that makes us better at sports. You know, we have learned, we have put money into it. And again, it's part of this, let's take away the, the heroic sense that we're somehow proving ourselves as individuals or as a nation through this. You know, we are, we're exploring what we're capable of. We're proud to do that. And we invest in that because it is important. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't make us better than others. So it's getting away from this sense of superiority that I think is damaging. It's very much playing on the ego, which is something I also think is unhelpful to performance. And it changes that sense. It, it puts us into much more of a threat mode. If we think our ego is at stake when we go to compete, uh, it puts us into often that sort of hating the enemy, feeling really threatened, feeling really tense. Um, you know, then you quickly can fall into a kind of catastrophizing mindset. And we don't want to be in that place. We want to be kind of positively almost loving our opponent because without them, there is no competition. And they're going to be pushing you to, you know, go further than you've gone before. And to get into that sort of challenge place where you are challenged to bring your best, explore what's possible at the boundaries. And that's a really healthy, exciting place to be. Oh, man, there's so many threads that you're talking about here, Catherine. The one, um, I mean, you come across Timothy Galway in a game of tennis, in a game of yes. golf. And his, yes. one of his closing chapters in there, which I think was brilliant, was you see your opponent as a collaborator, not a competitor. And I was like, yes, that's like, that sums it up beautifully because the better they play, if you can see that as a challenge rather than a threat, all of a sudden you can, you can get the best out of yourself. Um, and then the second little thread you said there was um, George Mumford, the mindful athlete. Have you, have you come across his work? Um, yeah. It worked a lot with the, the NBA superstars. And one of his big things I heard was don't believe the hype. 
And that, that yeah. maybe linked into the identity, the ego, where the hype can be good and bad because on one one month, you know, you could be saying, oh, you, you know, you're the greatest player that's ever stepped on the court. But those same people bring you down the month later, don't they? And yeah. uh, I don't know, is anything sparking off when I'm saying those couple of things? Yeah, I mean, the, the Galway, uh, I really love the inner game of golf. And I think, um, you know, I actually see some some organisations. I did some work with Unilever who really base a lot of their um, kind of leadership development on that, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I read that the inner game of tennis, the inner game of golf when I was a row and it really helped me to, you know, if you like, regain some some control over who I was and, and, and how I wanted to develop. Um, and some of the work that I do now, so I support a brilliant nonprofit organization called the True Athlete Project. And they run uh, a fantastic cross sport mentoring program and also lots of workshops for NGBs. Um, and their whole mission is about creating a more compassionate sporting world to use sport as a means of that sense of, you know, the purpose of bringing people together, of exploring what we're capable of, not in this sort of negative kind of hating each other, fighting mm-hmm. um, sort of uh, approach. And so do have a look at the website, the trueathleteproject.org. Um, and, you know, again, any aspiring young um, athletes um, might want to kind of think about going on the, the journey they take you through in the mentoring program where they will specifically look at, you know, your values, your identity, lots of topics we've already talked about, you know, the place for compassion in sports, compassion towards yourself and to others around you, um, thinking about your connectedness with the natural environment around you and your sort of social responsibility, if you like. You're an athlete, you're a more role model, even when you're club, perhaps to younger kids or to the next generation, um, or just, you know, again, acknowledging everyone involved in sport, the volunteers, the people who make it possible, thinking about that community and how you can contribute to it. And so I love, you know, it's really close to my thinking in the long run, and I love supporting the work they do. And, you know, that that sort of piece about being collaborators rather than competing against others. I like to see you're competing with others, not against them, mm. uh, is really core to their philosophy. Love that. Could you just say the website again, please? Yeah, www.thetrueathleteproject.org. Brilliant. Well, anyone listening, I hope you they get directed to there. I'm going to go check this out straight after this, which um, yeah, sounds sounds phenomenal. Um, so just bringing it a little bit back into into getting this balance because that that's a lot of the notes I wrote when I was I was thinking about speaking today again, finding that balance. And what I'm trying to get is is how how do you think you can get the balance of of say that real winning champion mindset in in that you know elite level of sport but also shelving the outcome at the same time you know it's it's that it's that little sweet spot where you know we, we could talk about flow and it might kind of get into the flow state at that point how do you think you speak to athletes or how would you like athletes to hear getting that balance between competitiveness but shelving the outcome so i think you i'm not sure if that's even the right sort of balancing point i think you can be competitive um uh it's about the type of competitiveness if you like and i think that you know the outcome is never going to help you to be competitive we want it that's probably all we need to know is you know a bit of why why it's important to us you know and to check in to check in with that what what are some of the deeper motivations and make sure it's not just a oh i want to prove how good i am or i want to prove i'm better than someone else this sort of ego piece we need to try and get a little bit underneath that because that might not be enough to get our best to get to our best um, possible performances so we want to kind of explore what is that fundamental motivation but we then let go of outcomes because we can't control them and we have to focus on our performance so you know it, in the work that 
sports psychologists have done for the last 20 years that sort of came in towards the end of the career, uh, my career. I loved this sort of separation of performance and results. We can't control the results. We still want them as much as anyone has. But we need to focus on what we can do to go faster each day or to raise the level of our game. So in a rowing world, we talk about, you know, will it make the boat go faster? We don't talk about every day, am I going to win a gold medal? We want to, but I can't win one every day. I can't know if in the future it will be possible or not. But what I can do is optimize how fast I make a rowing boat go today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after, and bring that optimum boat speed to that Olympic final. And then we'll see how what happens. But my focus needs to be on the bit I can control, my performance, how I show up, how I turn up, how I develop you know, all of the different ingredients of that. So yes, the obvious fitness and technique, but also the communication, the recovery, the mindset, um, you know, all of these components each day I need to be improving. And I need to have real clarity on what success looks like today, not success in three years time or two years time at the Olympics. I don't even know, you know, who knows, we had a pandemic that shift that changed in the Olympics. You know, that stuff is beyond my control. But Today needs to be a good day. I need to make sure I've made all the gains that I can. I've learned, I've experimented, perhaps learned from some mistakes, connected with my teammates, that I've really showed up today, learned something, Then today has been a successful day. We can't really just think, oh, I'm going to be successful if on one day when a ton of things out of my control happen, um, you know, I, I get this particular outcome. Mm. Again, it's crazy. And by putting all our eggs into that sort of future basket, we risk not maximizing today, not maximizing tomorrow, and therefore not reaching our best level in that future point as well. Love it. And and you've said the word control several times. And um, for me personally, I try to bring quite a lot of stoic thinking into athletes. Um, mm. Brian Holiday is really good with it. And, you know, the big cornerstone of stoicism is we don't control what happens. We control how we respond. And for me, the, the challenge I'm always trying to find with my, my athletes is going my players, maybe not athletes, my players, is um, there is always a choice. You always have a choice. I think Viktor Frankl said it perfectly. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. Mm. And in that space, we have the ability to choose. Um, so I'm hearing you say that the choice a lot. And that's that's so, so key, isn't it? Um, and, and I suppose I haven't really asked the question, but the question I, I was getting to was, was I suppose, how? How is, is such an important question? And I've actually read a lot about the, the British rowing. That question you guys came up with was, uh, you know, will this make the boat go faster? And I just love that as a frame of reference. So how do you think athletes, you know, can stick to the plan, stay in the moment, trust the process when the pressure may be at its very highest? Is it something like a question they should ask themselves? What do you think on that? Yeah, so it has to come before the moment of pressure. So we have to get that kind of clarity about what what's the game I'm in here? Is it purely medals or is there something else going on? And we need to get that, you know, it may take some time, but to clarify what matters with a broader set of success criteria than purely the medals. So the, the medal kind of gets its worth because of the things around it that make it worthwhile, because of that deeper motivation. Why is it important to get a medal? What are the things that you can explore? and what, How might that help others as well? So we want to sort of get that meaning wrapped around it uh, and then to have the frame, if you like, the mastery framing. So every day I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to learn, um, you know, and that then means on race day we can maintain that. And there's a big difference, you know, that I learned the hard way of sitting on an Olympic final thinking, you know, or sitting in an Olympic race thinking I, I've got to win, I've got to win. And since sitting in an Olympic final 
thinking, you know, I'm going to bring the best of what I've got. And one felt horribly, horribly butchered. I felt like there was a gun to my head and, and, and I performed terribly. And the other I enjoyed. Okay. So it's that framing of what, what is it we really, and questioning some of the, uh, what I call slightly archaic, you know, macho language um, that our desire to win then starts us falling into some of this slightly trivial um, but dangerous language about owning winning counts and, and all of this stuff that doesn't make you go any faster, distracts yourself, puts pre- unhelpful pressure on. Whereas actually the pressure should be on, can you bring your best performance? That means you need to know what that looks like, you know, what's required technically, what have you been working on? What's it require you to be thinking about? Um, you know, so it's not an easy thing. It actually requires far more attention. But of course, that's quite helpful because then you're focusing your attention positively on things that will help your performance. So it's about building those, you know, those building blocks each day, if you like. Uh, and then race day isn't, isn't something different to that. It's an extension of it. It's the ultimate opportunity to, to show all of that. You can't do anything different on race day than you've done before. Uh, you need to be kind of combining it, bringing it all together. Um, not somehow putting on some diff, you know, diff, oh, now it matters. Oh, now it's this. Mm. Um, and I think the pressure shifts as a result of that. Yeah. And, and that for me feels like exploring the territory of nerves, of flow. Um, what's that very famous statement? Um, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. You know, it's kind yeah. of like, are yeah. you turning up, you know, days, weeks, months before that event? Are you doing those little things? Are you making your bed in the morning? That kind of, you know, start your yeah. bed and then, and Absolutely. then. Mm, that, that's what I'm, I'm hearing you say. And then, but then you said something really interesting, which is a huge topic I'm, I'm exploring now is the reframing that, that inner voice, mm. how that, that inner voice comes in. We can't stop those thoughts. I don't think, you know, we have those initial thoughts. We have those reactions, but again, it comes back to choice. Do we get behind the energy of those thoughts? Do we have a bit of a space where we can reframe those thoughts? So when I talk about reframing, um, could you give, give us some tools or thoughts around that subject? Yeah. I, I mean, again, you want to have, thought out some of these things before the moment okay the first time it happens you have a sort of catastrophic thought oh my goodness I'm not good enough I can't do this or I doubt myself whatever it might be um you know the first time maybe we're unaware but thereafter we should be developing ever better tools we don't ever fix it we don't want to fix it but we manage it we respond to it if you like coming back to that comment you made about the stimulus and the response we respond to it better I think the other thing is not to try and get rid of it and squash it but to accept it. So one of the things I used to do is sort of try and push to the reframing too early or let me get out of this negative place and get to positive place. And I found that quite hard. But I realize now through kind of reading and perhaps some more of the advances in sports psychology that we first need to accept it and understand it. The reason I've got doubts is because I'm under pressure, because I'm a human being and not perfect, because I don't yet know everything or because I'm not yet, you know, I'm developing as a rower, I'm not finished article yet. So acknowledge them. Yeah, of course, that's, that's, that's normal to have a few doubts. That's fine. Every Olympic champion will have a few doubts. So it's okay. So you already kind of minimize their impact rather than thinking, Oh no, I shouldn't be thinking this and I've got to get rid of it. And then they get bigger and it's harder to get rid of them. So there's something about, I think, accepting before we reframe, you know, just going, Oh yeah, that's that voice that always happens when it's, when I'm nervous. So it actually tells me that this is an important day. It's a day I'm excited about. It's a day I want to come. 
um, you know, it's race day. And so I always get these thoughts. So we recognize them. That's part of helping me perform. It means my body's on alert. My body's ready to go. It knows this is a big day. That's helpful. That's great. Now let me think about the voices that I want to focus on, the ones I have trained, the ones I've thought about. And that one then, you know, is, is, is not so dominant anymore. No, really, really well said there, Catherine. Thanks for saying that. And, um, when, when we talk about accessing flow, you know, it's, 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 it's such a, it's such a state that all athletes want to get into. But I argue that we need a lot of deliberate practice for months and months and months to be able to access flow. Mm. People want to just turn on the flow switch, but I think we need to go through lots of reach and fail and learn from that kind of side of things. Um, what does this look like to you? So, so let's just, again, flow a very big concept, but when I ask that, what, what pops in your mind? So first of all, letting go of outcomes. So I know as soon as I'm thinking about an outcome or a result, I've got no chance of getting into a flow state. So um, it's about focusing, paying attention. So I think the there is an increase of um, on, or an exploration, if you say, of, of, of mindfulness within sport. I think sometimes it's kept too narrow and thought of as just a, a means of super concentration. But it's broader than that. It's about being mindful of your environment. I mean, something as a rower, we we always sort of operated on these three levels. It's one of the things I loved about the experience of rowing is that I have to be aware of my contribution, my effort, my technique, what I'm bringing. But I, I that on its own is no good unless I'm thinking about the second level of what everyone around me and the crew is doing. So my contribution, my effort must be aligned with them. Otherwise, we're working against each other, actually slowing each other down. Mm-hmm. So I have to kind of, at the same time that I'm thinking about my effort, think about how it's coming in the same direction, being timed, um, sort of in sync with others. And then there's a third level, which is the environment we're in. We're a water which is moving all the time. I have to sense the movement of the water because, again, if I just pile my contribution in and it's not timed, again, it, we slow the boat, we judder the boat. So I've got to understand how the water's moving and how the weather around us is affecting things and changing as well so it's this sort of alertness if you like on three levels paying attention all the time and adjusting all the time and I think actually that in itself and it was an early coach who sort of set these three levels out to me it said you can't operate on one you can't operate on two you need to learn to be very present on those three and how they all interlink into each other and actually what I think he was explaining was in a way uh, how how I could then get into the zone by being really tuned into those three levels, alert enough to kind of make some adjustments between them. Um, And it's that paying attention to those levels that I think helps us to get into a flow state. Mm. Um, And for me, that sort of mindfulness, it isn't just a sort of complete rigid focus on what I'm doing. It's actually, I'm also mindful of the people around me, of the world around me, of, you know, the environment around me. Um, and, and so it's kind of stretching that concept of what we're paying attention to, what we're mindful of. Mm. And it's developing that on a daily basis that then can help us uh, in the high pressure situations as well. Mm. Yeah, no, love it. And, and, you know, you're talking about language here. That sounds very zoomed out that like really kind of take a step back, maybe having perspective. Again, it might be even a deeper layer of mindfulness of does this really matter? I know that kind of sounds yes. serial, but actually what you're doing right in this moment you know, if you're thinking of suffering as you're putting in the big sessions, actually, is that really suffering? Let's, let's really get a perspective yeah. that people are struggling to actually get a meal or clean water this night, you know, and, and for me, I, I tried, you know, at certain points, get the athletes to think about that aspect of mindfulness going, yeah, listen, you know, it, it probably comes back to the gratitude piece that you said before, grateful for, you know, we, I suppose we're, we're choosing to suffer in that moment. We're choosing to put ourselves in these pressure situations, but 
it's not suffering on on a grand scale, is it? I completely agree. You're right. I think it's this is where we're developing um, citizens. Uh, we want our athletes to be good citizens, to be aware of again what they're doing for themselves, for their team, for the sport, and then thinking about what sport provides for society um, and and how we're a part of that kind of bigger picture. Again, how sport can actually bring issues of protecting the environment or you know contributing to social issues you know we have that opportunity through sport to demonstrate such some of those things so i i love how you explained that there about being really kind of mindful of the privilege that we have mm. to be playing sports um and i know i almost found that it's almost too late when i was doing some work after um after the, my own career really in some really difficult conflict affected parts of the world and realizing gosh you know that was how could I have thought that was sort of of great of the greatest importance ever to make my boat go backwards fast on a lake? You know, it's pure privilege, pure opportunity to to explore something wonderful. Um, but actually, it was so far from some of these real, you know, life and death situations that we see on our screens that we are aware of. And that is so important to give us that perspective. That is helpful to performance. Again, there's no sense that you have to shut out the world. That used to be the old fashioned way, I think. But actually, I think, you know, understanding our, our place, it, it, again, uh, brings more meaning to what we're doing. And that helps us manage the result, good or bad, um, because often, you know, you can get really unhappy winners. You can, you know, uh, the, the result doesn't define the emotion, the experience. It's the story around the result that defines what lasts. And so what's the story we want to create? What's that that citizen we want to become through the sporting career we choose. Oh, phenomenal. Oh, we've got really deep. No, yeah, no, no. I literally, I was giving you thumbs up there because you said something that I wanted to really pick up on, which was, again, the old school way of thinking, grit your teeth, go harder, go faster, macho kind of vibe. And what I'm really enjoying these days is there's a lot more acceptance of acceptance of mindfulness of gratitude of altruism i think we just maybe spent a bit of time on altruism there like doing things for the greater good maybe not for your benefit but you know mm. and, and i really like that and again it's pretty much a bit of my mission now and, and what i'm trying to do is is get that message out there get you know even even getting the parents to understand this you know the parents of these athletes and we can talk about that in a sec but no i think i think that's a really important little conversation we had then and the, the old school way of thinking again there's still there's still Maybe parts of it that are okay, but yeah, I think that that grit your teeth and go harder, faster, stronger, and look tough, look look macho. It's just it doesn't cut it, does it? I mean, it, it doesn't cut it on any level. It doesn't lead to sustainable high performance. You know, with the sophistication with which people train these days, that's just not enough to deliver any kind of you know outstanding performance. But it, it you know worse than that, it creates an experience that also is lacking in values, in respect. Uh, in integrity, it takes us down a really dangerous path. Um, and I think there is a real moment now to be re-educating at every level in schools, through PE, um, you know, parents on the touch lines uh, and, and the whole world of elite sport, because these pockets still exist. They're persistent. It's still what we see in the movies. It's still what lots of people grew up with, um, were conditioned to believe this is what sport is about. Uh, it's often what can get the media attention when people sort of behave uh, in a way that's, um, you know, yeah, more more familiar to the kind of what I call the Rocky mindset. Um, and so it is important now, I think, that we make that shift, recognize why we're making the shift, question some of these 
behaviours that that maybe we didn't always question and we thought that was just what you had to do in a sporting world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a much richer experience awaits, a much richer kind of exploration of performance possibilities awaits. Uh, but we need to lead with this. We need to be reframing success in a much broader way from the start. Not when we get to the competition, it's too late, but from the start, why are we coming to this club? Why are children coming to this sports club? What is it they're going to gain for life? Not in the next league fixture. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of sort of setting things out differently, getting those foundations right. Mm. And yeah, just, just echoes again, the, we don't control what the media are going to say about us. We don't control what our friends or people around us, but we control our response, you know, and, and don't believe in the hype, you know, the, 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 the George Mumford. Yeah. That hype is always going to be there. It's going to be positive. It's going to be negative. How can you stay on a lovely level middle playing ground? Yes, enjoy the success and go above it at times. Look, you got to, you will be angry and, and, and cross different other times, but staying in that middle ground and, it just quickly reminds me of um, so Chris Hoy. He talks really nice about that. I think when he was a youngster in the training environments, he saw his heroes winning these amazing medals, and they were they were depressed. And I think he learned really early on. He talks talks a lot about this, doesn't he? Where you know, it, similar to to your message, I think. Um, mm. so, so yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that in a way that was my sort of biggest shock that you know chasing this result, and then the people who who are winning aren't having this, you know, are not having a great experience, you know, what's gone wrong with winning? And that's the winners, let alone the rest of us, you know, the rest of us who most of the time don't win and, and we're discarded because we didn't make it. But even those who made it aren't having good experience. Gosh, something's really gone wrong here. Uh, I think you're right. Chris Hoy is a great role model for, you know, the fact he recognised that and said, I'm going to create a different path shows an awareness in his environment that is really important. Because again, I think sometimes we we think I'm the next athlete in a high performance center. I'm on the treadmill. I do what's happened to those before me. And then hopefully I get a result or something. Mm. And, and that, again, we need to be making choices. Coming back to a theme we mentioned earlier, as as coaches, parents, we need to give that autonomy for for athletes, for people to be kind of choosing how they play their sport. That's always better for the longer term. Um, you know, I think we've made some choices now, which the high performance Olympic Paralympic system are realizing has shortened people's careers. You know, we didn't give them a year out. We didn't allow them to recover fully from an injury or something like that because we needed that next result. And then actually we've ended up, they've gone, you know, I've had enough. I don't want to do another Olympiad. I don't, you know, retention is, is becoming a, an issue in that, in that system now. That's one of the results of this sort of push, push, you know, coaches jobs depend on that next result that never leads to, uh, the right behaviors for poor performance over the longer term. So I think it is, you know, getting back to, you know, what really matters that underpinning that foundation, the stuff that will last that you'll have for the rest of your life. Um, and, and not sort of somehow thinking that different rules apply in sport. Actually, those same rules apply even more. I love the fact also that Chelsea have appointed, um, a, uh, a manager with a kind of master's in emotional intelligence. So I'm hoping. That's a really big sign. But of course, you know, let's see how, how long. I hope there's some longevity in that appointment. Yeah, well, new owners and everything. It's hopefully they're not the, the firing guys, but they obviously fired too cool fight quickly. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, really, really good. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does in the next few years. Um, so just maybe a last couple of things here, Kath. Um, I want to just spin it back to the athlete real quick. And, and it's a question I've been thinking about and, and struggling with, with maybe a couple of my players is, you know, what advice would you maybe have for an athlete that that's maybe suffering with confidence or self-belief as their results, they, they're just not there, but 
They have genuinely been sticking to the process. They have been grateful. They've been doing actually all the right things time after time after time. They step into the arena and they just, they don't get that result. And then they, then there's this little bit of um, a downhill spiral of confidence and self-belief becoming, becoming well, suffering. And, and they, they starting to lose their identity because of that. Any thoughts on confidence and self-belief when the athlete has actually stuck to all the processes? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I've, I mean, I instinctively feel that you probably still haven't found the optimal performance process yet if we're not delivering the performance we're capable of. I tend to come away a little from self-belief and confidence. There's a danger if, if, those, are, if those are suffering because of the results, then we haven't got self-belief and confidence based on the things it should be based on that are kind of more lasting than an outcome that we can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I struggled with both of those things and actually found that, you know, I, I'm never going to be somebody who thinks I'm the best, in, you know, oh yeah, I'm the best here and that's never going to help me. And I don't want to be that person necessarily. So I, for a while I sort of tried to be, because that seemed to be what everyone said I needed to do, but I just lost time um, improving at that point. So I come back to this learning focus it's focus on improving. Um, there must be a ton of things in those uncomfortable, disappointing results to learn from. Uh, if you know that your performance, you know, potential is greater than that. OK, we've got a lovely gap here to learn in. And we've got to get more ruthless, perhaps, about the learning, about what we do differently, about experimenting a little bit more. Let's not do the same thing next time. So I think it's then about upping the rigor of our learning. And, you know, really being quite tough on ourselves there to analyze what didn't translate and, you know, and actually not, you know, not almost to go, oh, it's my self-belief. Well, you know, we need to get in this mode, I think, of paying attention to what we can execute. If I can execute this skill here, how can I execute it here? What can I think differently? Um, let me try something different. Let me try a different mantra. Or let me try uh, a different framing for this. Let me also practice in some different situations. How can I put some pressure on myself practicing so that that doesn't feel comfortable, put myself off, you know, get used to failing in the practice environment, not just getting it right there and suddenly getting it wrong when I'm competing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just would just go in, in, in on the learning. We haven't learned yet how to translate it. It is really difficult. And that's very common that what we practice, we can't deliver for a while in competition. That That's that transition is the key. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get better at the transition? Let's keep exploring the transition. We're just on the learning journey about, you know, how we can get a slightly better transition next time, not determined by the outcome. Let's think of what are the things that we didn't translate that went that led to the outcome, but let's not, let's analyze the performance. Okay. Well, right. Let me just get one of those better. Not the same outcome because it's not enough yet to sift the outcome. But if I can get one of those things better, now I know I can start to make this transition and get belief in, in that. Yeah, nice. I think it's leaning into that confidence and self-belief. You, you've said it. I'm going to use it a little bit myself now, that mastery going, yes, I've improved yeah. by that 1%. I've, you know what, it's still not translating yet, but you know what, I, I've looked at what I need to do. I've, I've analyzed, I've controlled my controllables and you know what I've lent into that and I'm leaning into the confidence and self-belief of that. So no, really, really great advice there. Thank you for saying that. Um, and probably one of my final little questions I'd, I'd like to ask, cause I think this it could be quite a big question, this, but any advice for parents or the support network of athletes with all you've spoken about today? I'm sure like there, there's lots of stuff you've spoken about, but 
is there a way you could maybe boil it down? And, you know, if, if there's some really, you know, parents listening of these real top athletes, or even the support network, the coaches, the, the, the physios, any, any advice you would like to leave the parents and, and support network with? Mm. I mean, I, I would come back to almost those principles that, that run through the long win of you know, define success in a way beyond results. Results are part of it, but it's almost like they're in the middle and then let's draw a circle around it and think about what else, you know, amplifies that, is part of that. What has the lasting value? When you achieve the result and step off the podium, what will have lasting value? And to get to that, think of the three Cs. So clarify what matters things we've talked about, values, who are you, your identity. And these aren't things you clarify in one sitting, you know, but all of the time get a deeper, clearer understanding of what matters and how you want to go about this journey, that you will remember the stories you want to create along the way. So clarify what matters, constant learning, constant learning, just the humbleness, the humility that comes from, you know, learning is what will drive your performance ever higher. Um, and connection, you know, really invest in those relationships. I think sometimes there's a focus on, um, you know, what you're doing, the technique, the the program, the training program sets out kind of what you're doing, but not who you're doing it with. Mm. Coaches, parents, support teams, volunteers, sports psychs, nutritionists, and, and to actually see them on the program, write them on the program. Who are you doing these sessions with? How can you build stronger relationships with those people? Because those will usually give you better quality of learning in the session. Um, but they become part of that journey. You know, they become part of the, the meaning. They, they are your support vehicle, your challenge vehicle. They're your team that you have who will be there, uh, you know, whatever happens at the end. And when you step off the podium, you know, they're the ones you go and, and celebrate with and, and stay friends with. You know, I can tell you, Olympic athletes, you get together years after we don't bring our medals. We don't talk about Olympic races. We talk about the stories, those moments we shared, you know, all the crazy little times, you know, in training camps, behind the scenes, difficult times, brilliant times, fun times, crazy times. You know, that, those are the things that stay with you. So invest in those relationships, both for your performance, but also for the experience and, and the kind of stories to, that, that will come from that. Oh, Kat, listen, you give me goosebumps many, many times today because this is the exact type of conversation I, I really wanted to have. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to really signpost people to your book because it, it's it's brilliant, phenomenal. Like I've, I've read it at least once. I'm going to get back into it because I, I read it quite a while ago. But no, really, thank you for all the work you're doing so far. And, you know, you've been an absolute superstar today. Like I said, genuinely so glad we could we could have these. And what I really like is you've given some really good tools as well. I'm, I'm all about tools going, yes, we can talk about some good stuff. But actually, I'm really glad we're able to drill down into some specifics that I think coaches, parents, support network can, can really go and take away from this. Um, and in closing, where best can people find you if they want to follow you, if they want to see more about your work? Um, do you want to give a few signposts to that? Sure. Well, yeah, always happy to carry on the conversation. So um, I have a website, uh, kathbishop.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at the Kath Bishop. On Instagram, Kath Underline Bishop. I'm on LinkedIn. So please reach out. Always happy to um, continue the conversation. Yeah. And generally for me to look, good luck with everything you're doing. You are moving the ball forward in a really positive way, but not focusing on the outcome. So it's really, really great stuff. And thanks for your time today. Great. Love the conversation. Thank you very much.